0: To the How Could You
1: podcast, I'm Lauren Tossi, and I'm Ryan Tossi. This is where we eat lightning and crap thunder.
0: You know, I was hoping you were gonna come in with like big Mickey energy, and that didn't disappoint. I had
1: thought about doing it in like a, a penguin voice and being like, <laughs> nah,
0: nah, I want to eat lightning and crap thunder." Nah. Podcast audience, you can't see this, but he was literally making an umbrella motion, <laughs> like he is the penguin. Yeah, that's you know, we gotta
1: you gotta embody the character.
0: Honestly, I hope actually the rest of the podcast you just act like Burgess
1: Meredith. <laughs> I just want to. I just the audience is probably. Like his penguin sounded exactly like it's Mickey. So it didn't really even change much.
0: <laughs> Hope you call me a bum at several times throughout this episode. Well, welcome to the podcast, everyone. If this is your first time listening, thank you so much for checking us out. We are two people who fell in love in a movie theater and never quite left. We started this podcast because, as two film obsessed nerds, uh, we realized there were a lot of movies that we hadn't seen that we really should have seen, like The Goonies and The Godfather. And then we expanded this to just include like. Movie conversations we really wanted to have and talk about in different cinematic debates. But today, we return to form and we are about to fill a desperate, how could you, for one of us, but more on that later. Go back later. to the <laughs>
1: <laughs> So, hold on. I got it really quick. I got course. to ask you this really quick. So, I appreciate the birthday episode. All the fans out there, thank you for the love on that episode of the Masters of the Universe. Um, I was quite surprised on my birthday morning listening to the episode for the first time because I did not know that I would get a special little message from Buffalo Bill legend Don Beebe. <laughs> so, that was a really cool thing. Really fun to hear. So, thank you so much for making that happen. Uh, that was a really cool surprise. However, I do need to ask you, has anything aged quicker or more poorly than Don Beebe's take on the Buffalo Bills going to the Super Bowl?
0: (laughs) It's so upsetting because it went from like, Ryan, you're going to have a great birthday because the Bills are going to make it to the Super Bowl to... Ryan, you're going to get COVID, and they're going to lose miserably to the Bengals. Yeah. My man
1: gave me this birthday, like, let's go Buffalo Bills on Friday. And by Sunday, I'm laying in bed with a fever, a stomachache, watching my team lose horribly. <laughs> and they're out of the playoffs. So, yeah, Don Beebe, terrible take.
0: <laughs> you know, I honestly always thought that what was going to age the worst about our podcast was my general thirstiness. But I do think that may be it. <laughs> So, other than that, do you have a Tossie's Takes for this week? Yeah, we're not taking any more Don (laughs) Beebe's takes. We're going back to Tossie's Takes. Do you have anything you want to offer a podcast audience or recommendation of something you've been enjoying as of late?
1: Absolutely. Tossie's Takes this week is Lauren Tossie. Oh. Lauren Tossie, you are now becoming the the Oscar person in the Lehigh Valley. Oh, gosh. The go-to expert on all things Oscars in the Valley, and I am so excited for you. I mean, for the audience, let me tell you what she's got coming up. She's going to be having a special, you know, nostalgia cinema at the end of February, early March, still figuring out the date on that, where you're going to be doing a little party at the Civic Theater, uh, hosting a best picture film, doing some trivia, so you're going to be doing that pretty much on your own, so that's going to be yep. your whole event. Um, you've got a Oscar prediction show coming up yeah. with ArtsQuest. quest yes. uh, So that's going to be able to be done online. So people, definitely check that out. We're going to be telling you all about that. You're going to be doing the show with me. Yes. We're bringing back Anthony for those excited that you're going to be, we're going to be doing a show there. But the one, the real Dosti's take here is Lauren is going to be doing a class at ArtsQuest, Steel Stacks, All Things Academy Awards coming in March. Um, you can come Take this class with her. Learn all about the Oscars. Get that passion, that excitement <laughs> that she brings. Get some really great knowledge. It's going to be a really cool class. Congratulations on this. I'm super excited for you.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so I'm very surprised. I didn't know that was your Tossie takes. And I'm super excited. Um, you know, Obviously, my, my love for the Oscars runs deep. If you've been listening to this podcast since we started, I think you know that uh, that structures a lot of our film year. Um, I'm so appreciative of, of civic theater. And you know, and especially ArtsQuest, who has let me uh, let out my emotional rantings about the Oscars for a few years. Our virtual show is something I always look forward to getting to hear the takes from everyone uh, who participates from the Cinema Committee and who works at ArtsQuest. It's always like a really, really good time. We will post about that on our social media. So if people want yeah. to check it out, so the the prediction show will be a virtual event. Um, the the special nostalgia cinema and and the class that I'll be teaching uh, through Arts. Class at the Banana Factory. Uh, that is actually going to be an in-person event, so we'll post details about that. I'm yeah, and,
1: and a lot of this you can check out on stillstacks.org um, to see both of those events yeah. and to sign up for the class. Yes, uh, really highly recommend it, uh, Lauren. Since the literally day one of, of hanging out with you, <laughs> you have shown me your passion and love for Academy Awards. One of our first times together, dates together, was a little uh, Oscar party at my one-bedroom apartment in <laughs> Kittstown Pennsylvania, uh, which you, you showed up for. You were so great, and before I knew that all the rules you had about love, the Academy Awards, uh, but from that day, I have totally always known your passion for this. All of the good things about the Academy Awards, all of its warts about the Academy yeah. Awards, uh, so I'm really excited for you. Congratulations on this. It's going to be a great class, and I can't wait for people to sign up and go.
0: Thanks, love bug. I will say, I do think that's how my family knew that I was pretty serious about you because I would go watch the Academy Awards with anyone on your terrible little tube TV <laughs> with like other people right. just coming and going out of your apartment and I'm just sitting there like why isn't everyone being totally silent?
1: I like I got one year like that and then it was right back to silent just you and me every year <laughs> after that until fairly recently. I also
0: believe uh, that that was the last year I ever won our Oscar bet. <laughs> so, um, my Tassie's tics, um is a little bit of Pennsylvania Pride um, which will go very nicely with this episode. Um, M. Night mm-hmm has a new film out called "Knock at the Cabin Door," which is uh, based off of a novel. Um, Highly recommend you go see this in a theater. M. Night Shyamalan is an incredible proponent not only of uh, the wonder and the excellence of making films in Pennsylvania, but also of. Preserving the theatrical experience, which you guys know if you've been listening, is something that's super important to both of us, you know, because of art organizations like Civic Theater, like ArtsQuest, uh, going to the Frank Banco Alehouse Cinemas, who has that film right now, is such an important thing to do, um, it is fun, it is a great thriller, it is really fun to watch with a live audience um, because as M. Night Shyamalan does, there's a lot of twists and turns. His camera work is, as always, exquisite in this, and he's someone who really celebrates how beautiful our state is, so go out and support his film. He's amazing.
1: I, I love it. Yeah, that film was suspenseful and, 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 and tension-filled. It was really, really uh, a really fun uh, film. I'm glad it's getting the reviews that it is and has done very well the box office, his is now fourth in a row, number one film. Yep. Um, so great, Tossie's take from you. And like you said, uh, a Philadelphia film, which really comes right into play for today's uh, film of topic.
0: It does, it does, Ryan Tossie, because like, here's the thing. Uh, we were going to be doing this film. Um, we we bumped up a little bit, um, mm. mainly because uh, this week felt really appropriate to be uh, talking about Rocky. If you were someone who so participates in football culture, you may know there's a certain big game. Um, <laughs> you know, not enough people listen that I can't say the Super Bowl. We're not going to get sued. <laughs> um, you know, Super Bowl is this weekend. The Eagles are in it, and you know Philadelphia is a great sports city, but it's a great city just in general. There is a passion and a zeal of the people who live in Philadelphia. You know, love them or hate them, depending on where you are in the sports spectrum of where your fandoms are, um, you can't deny that there is something special about Philadelphia and the culture of it. The food culture, the music culture, the film culture of Philadelphia is something that's incredibly inspiring. Filled with energy. This is a city, you know, bred of people, tough times, tough circumstances, but find like immense joy and celebration in life, whether it's gracing poles um, or celebrating with a Philly cheesesteak. Philadelphia is a really, really special city. And probably one of the most special Philadelphia stories, something that feels like incredibly intertwined with the culture of the city. Of course, it's the 1976 classic film. Rocky. One of not only the most iconic films to take place in the city of Philadelphia, but without a doubt, probably one of the best sport, I would argue one of the best sports films of all time. It was Best, best Picture that year at the Oscars. It stars Sylvester Stallone. It spawned sequel after sequel. It speaks to the joy and triumph that comes not from winning, but from achieving something that feels like greatness, which feels so tied to who Philadelphia is as a city, who the Philadelphians are as a people. It is incredible. It transformed, I think, the expectation we have for sports films so I have to ask Ryan Tossey how could you have never seen Rocky (laughs) (laughs) I
1: I love that great lead in um, from the New Jersey born Lauren um, whose brother who is a huge Giants fan is definitely yelling at the uh, (laughs) first off he loves Rocky
0: He hates it. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love Rocky? Who doesn't, right? Who doesn't? Well, apparently you, because you had never seen it. (laughs) All right. What's going on? First off,
1: considering the fact that you said about the uh, who doesn't love Rocky, it's a good question. Because to me, nothing speaks more of Philadelphia than, despite all of their great athletes through the year, Dr. J, you know, Randall Cunningham, Donovan McNabb, Uh, Alan Iverson, Eric Lindross, that the (laughs) most iconic uh, sports figure in Philadelphia is a fictional character. Um, (laughs) So... I also appreciate the fact that we can ask the How Could You here because anybody that has joined our show fairly recently has probably been trying to figure out why we're called the How Could You podcast. So this is bringing <laughs> yeah, that this back. This is why, so, guys. Uh, this is also me just stalling because, you know, who <laughs> wants to admit that they haven't seen Rocky when they're a huge sports fan, when they're a Pennsylvania born, you know, individual, and when they're a huge film fan?
0: Also, when you were training marathons, I had to wake up every morning to No Easy Way Out and Rocky Foran. Like, what's the deal, man? Why did it take you so long to see Rocky?
1: There, in lies. Uh. (laughs) The rub. So, Rocky comes out in 1976. I was born in 1980. To start thinking about when I'm actually watching these types of film, probably about 86, which would be da-da-da-da. Rocky Four, um, So that's quite it. I probably, I remember when we did Raiders of the Lost Ark, my sister Erica was like, Ryan definitely had seen it. <laughs> and and I appreciated where she was coming from. Like, because it was probably on in our household. Rocky was a huge film in our household. Like, everybody, you know, we we knew Rocky Balboa. How could you not, right? Um, I remember Rocky IV very vividly from a young age. I remember Rocky Three. I knew Rocky Balboa uh, desperately. And anybody that's obviously seen the sequels, if you've watched the sequels, you see enough clips from Rocky in those movies that you could pretty much piece the film together.
0: No, poor excuse.
1: (laughs) It was a poor excuse. Um, But that's ultimately it. It was just really it was kind of an age thing. And then like, oh, I become like, you know, the Rocky films that you know. And I just never went back and watched the original like I felt like I knew it enough. I was wrong. Like, I was wrong in the spirit of the film, sure. right? Like, I knew the notes of it. I knew enough to get us where we are in the in the story. But I didn't know the film and the spirit and, and how brilliant it really was, or is, I should say. Um, so that was really it. And it just kind of was one of those things that just... Never got to. It was always like, well, again, I had seen Rocky 4 a thousand times. I had seen Rocky 3, Rocky. I even watched Rocky 5 probably way more than one should have.
0: Uh, <laughs> if you watched it more than once.
1: But. Ultimately, yeah, I just it wasn't until years later that I really recognized the fact that I never really sat down and and just gave this film its due and sat down and watched it from start to finish until probably about the time that the concept of this show started coming up where we finally did that. And I'm so glad that I did. No spoilers here, but, you know, obviously love the film and um, just was so taken aback on how different it is. Than the other sequels and how much I missed out on not seeing it because, you know, because of that.
0: You know, and here's the thing. I, I'm curious if yours is not a totally uncommon story. So I, you know, um, the, the year it came out is like not an excuse at all, bruh, but um, (laughs) because I was born in 86 and I saw Rocky (laughs) way young, but I also, I, you know, joking aside, I do kind of see how that happens because I think like You know, you're watching these, like, clips that are montaged together that make it seem like, oh, okay, so probably all the Rocky movies are very similar, so if I don't see the first one, I'm probably okay. But, like, what... What is missing from that is like, oh, that's like a fraction of the story of the movie. The movie has like, you know, yes, a lot to do with fighting and the build up to this fight. But it's obviously like a very different film, Um, you know, and obviously had a a different goal set in mind, had a different purpose and had like a very different point of view of like what the Rocky story was going to be. Because like there's no, no denying like. Rocky as a figure in the first movie, that that characterization is carried but is at its richest in the first film.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, when we talk about the sequels two through, um, you know, we'll say up until at least six, um, they're all sports movies, ultimately. I mean, um, we could maybe argue a little bit about, you know— you know the sum of five and six sure. a little bit differently, but but ultimately, yeah, they're sports movies. Um, where Rocky, yeah, it's just something obviously different. Um, it's yeah, I think you once said it. It's like it's got story, right?
0: Well, I and mean, here's the thing: like I am, I am a great lover of the of the sp- all right, not all of the sequels, some of the sequels, like, you know, so it's not it's not to hate on those because they're effective in a particular way. Like there is something about Rocky Four, as I'm sure we will talk about towards the end of this, that like is really enchanting and is really enticing because there's a pacing to it. There's this like very specific good versus evil story that you're to understand it is so built upon like this quick editing style and this feeling of montage throughout. Whereas this film, there's not, I mean, there's like not a villain to this story. No. There's an opponent, right. but there's not a villain. And I think that makes it function as a very different kind of sports film, because like even, you know, the great vision quest, which is one of your all time favorite sports films, like shoots a villain. As far as we know, like he seems there's something that's built. There Whereas Apollo Creed is affable and fun and you know it's kind of it, like it's this really generous move of like i don't think he is bringing rocky balboa into a fight in hopes to just beat on him i think he's like no this is a great who wouldn't want the story and he's completely right who doesn't want the story of a guy who is super down on his luck and has never gotten that chance for the come up to finally get that and what would that yeah. mean in a city like philadelphia
1: I agree um, completely with you on all of that. And yeah, it's it's a really a testament to like you understand, you know, when you grow up only really watching the sequels like I, I remember, although I will ironically say I remember very uh, vividly, probably about a time I was like maybe around six years old. I remember being with my sisters and we were leaving the house and Rocky was on. And I remember seeing um Adrian in the pet shop. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And I remember being really confused. Sure. Like, why does Adrian look like that? <laughs> well, I don't understand. I've never seen her look like that in any other movie. Like, I didn't, couldn't grasp that that was still Adrian. She didn't have
0: her glow up yet. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> right. essentially what I can't, saw. I'm
1: excited to talk about that at some point. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, just when you see these these the other films, like, you don't recognize... It's hard to almost grasp how this was a best picture film, how it became the iconic film that it was. Um, But I will say, I will actually also say, I think it's one of the best franchises because you have the star and there's no doubt now in my mind that Rocky is the premier film, but, but as a franchise they're all enjoyable. They're all, I, I don't want to say good because five is obviously not, but, but they're all really. So it's really a, a testament to the character that they build right off the bat in this first film.
0: Well, yeah, and exactly. And like, you know, you brought them up. So like one of the important things to remember through throughout this series, you know, so this is Sylvester Stallone's baby. He, he writes the screenplay for this in a, in a feverish three and a half days. Yeah. Um, you know, inspired by some aspects. I'm sure we will talk about later uh, from like you know real boxing matches, um, and and is really inspired by that. And come you know, it has this like story. He is at this point already an actor in Hollywood, um, and turns to everyone's best friend in Hollywood, uh, Henry Winkler, um, to help him get this script in front of the right people so it can get produced. Uh, they had been in a film together. The name is escaping me right now. Um, and and Henry Winkler was like a real champ. For Sylvester Stallone um, getting the script in front of people that would want to make this film, but you know they didn't want him, and it's weird to think about. You can't think about these films and not think about him as Rocky. But they wanted it to be a mainstream star like Burt Reynolds or Robert Redford were some of the names attached that they were looking for this. They end up going with Sylvester Stallone, but this was really at the behest of his passion, him taking a lot of sacrifice in terms of potential rates that he could have fought for um, and and meager pay compared to what a vehicle this ended up being for him. Um, But it's one of the inspiring things because I think it'd be really easy to watch this film and have no sense of the fact that this is who this was written by.
1: Yeah. I, I still blows my mind, uh, completely. I mean, I think in some strange way, it's probably like, we'll sit here, be talking in another 10 years about goodwill hunting. And, you know, um, although even to be fair to that, Aflac's gone on and done some really great, uh, behind the, you know, camera work. Um, it's interesting. So uh, you're saying Henry Winkler, obviously. Um, so Erwin Winkler is actually is he relative? I believe then? so. Yeah, okay. and I
0: can't remember. Or is that that just wh- co- okay. I don't think that's actually coincidence. I think they are related. Okay.
1: Um, and my understanding is that um, you know Stallone, who didn't have much money to his name and not a lot of clout, really took a chance by kind of sticking to you know. Betting on himself, right? By not signing over the rights and and not giving up the control of being the the actor. Well,
0: because that was like that was his condition. Um, yeah. And you know, in part, of, so Ern Winkler is the producer of this film. Was uh, directed by John G. Avildsen, um, or Avildsen. I think it's Avoldson. Al- I think is how you pronounce it. Um, you know, so this is, yeah, I mean, like he really does take this at a risk of like really trying to say, like, I am the perfect person to play this. I think we would all say like the, the the proof is there, but you know, at the time, like this, at one point was Shop Around as being like a made for TV movie. Um, so there's like not a lot of faith in what was a really well crafted script. I mean, what the incredible thing about this? He's a first time screenwriter, and in a first as a first time screenwriter, this film went on to win Best Picture. That's incredible that yeah. that happened. Um, that is a Hollywood story within itself. I think there would actually be something really compelling in someone doing at some point a making of Rocky film. Like, that was this person who, like, let's be honest, Like his, he had a sordid history in Hollywood before this film. Like, you know, there's obviously things to make, like, kind of jokes at, but it's not the 80s and we're not SNL, so we don't <laughs> feel the need to do so. Fair. But, like... But you know, Are you like... talking
1: about the hit film Italian Stallion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wasn't going to invoke it, Tass. Um, but I will. <laughs> but, you know, like, this is, you know, he in some ways was like, you know, I think he wrote this thing going, like, he is the perfect person to play this. Like, you know, he's an Italian-American. I think he felt this story, and I think he knew how to embody this character. And it's such an interesting story because he wrote something, and it's and interesting to think about this in terms of, like, the landscape of film in 1976. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you may remember we did an episode on Taxi Driver. And I feel like this is an interesting companion piece and i did not think about until i was watching it this time in preparation from this episode of like how much taxi driver and rocky are the stories of like disenfranchised people in cityscapes mm-hmm. and what that turns into because like what you have with like rocky i mean like look he is asking to get beat up in a ring. he's not he doesn't seem like A specifically skilled boxer But he seems like someone who boxes with a lot of anger But then is this incredible Like gentle and kind Person like a You know I would say in many Ways like an ambassador within his Neighborhood before he has any claims to Fame someone who Takes an interest in a person That is quiet and meek I think like he sees like a kindred of spirit in, In Adrian I think That's the attraction there of like Kind of this like very kind worldview. And it's this interesting thing to see because this is not a guy who is without anger, without resentment. He is alone. He has no support system. Because let's not call Polly a support system. Polly is the living worst. Also, if you're listening to this and you're a fan of Polly, I'm sorry. I got nothing nice to say. <laughs> and also don't be a fan of Polly. Um But there's <sighs>
1: I'll go on finish. And then I have something to say yeah, about that. Yeah. But
0: like, I, I think this is a really interesting character study that both of these films come out in 1976 as ways of looking at like, what does disenfranchisement, what does loneliness, what does isolation potentially lead to? And I would say like, obviously I'd say this is the more positive outcome of that. And we do see him find more connection, but just find it fascinating, that these films came out so close together. I'm,
1: it's interesting you say that because it, you may have realized. It, so Stallone's script is darker in the, the original version of it. Um, which kind of coincides with the time period and the type of films, which coincides a little more with like a taxi driver type, you know, where essentially the ending of the film is more of what Rocky finds out is that uh, Mickey is just just horrible person. He's a racist. He's you know, he finds the, the whole entire business to be just corrupt and Rocky throws the fight against Apollo Creed. And that's how the film, or that's how the original script was going to be in. And Rocky was a lot less likable um, as a as a person, as a character, because he had been so um, beaten down. But uh, Stallone's wife at the time is the one that reads the script and like, I don't like it. Like, I don't like the Rocky, your main character. I I can't root for him in any way. And and it's such a bleak ending. So he goes back and and he fixes that.
0: Well, and and here is the real of this. And we talked about this with Taxi Driver. Like, I get that narrative coming out of this particular moment. You're talking about... You know, a a nation coming out of still Vietnam, you're talking about like this incredible uncertainty, you're talking about like some incredible impoverished space, especially in urban spaces. Like, I kind of get that being the storyline. I'm so glad someone interceded and said, look, this may be reflective of a national culture right now. However, it's probably not what we need right now, and maybe we need to see what would it look like to come from these circumstances, and there to be a way out. Look, I think they make Philadelphia look warm and bonded by community, but they don't make it look glamorous. No. Nor does scorsese well, with this is what, tax Frank here.
1: philadelphia at this point right yeah so like this is it's it's, it's, it's not, not warm
0: no it's, it's not. not warm it's not but i don't think that and i don't think the film's trying to do this but i also think that there is a sense of like look these spaces they may seem abject to you but there are 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 Incredible people trying to really work and to try and find a better, like to find not a way out, but a way towards like something that feels like hope. And I think that's what Rocky provides. It's the way in which he has like these tender little turtles. Like how sweet is that?
1: But I think that speaks to, you know, get it, you know, why Rocky was so beloved, especially at that time, because I think exactly everything you're saying, as some they needed that hero. They needed that hope. They need that time period needed this this spiritual kind of uplifting. And I think that's why that film, you know, Beats out Taxi Driver for Best Picture. I think you needed that positivity. Like, you and I just recently talked about this with um, when we showed The Thing at our Nostalgia Cinema and why The Thing bombed at the box office and why E.T., you know... Had been such a huge hit that year because it was like there was that hope in it, and there are just time periods in our life that we need that. Um, I don't think it will ever have quite the legs, um, that Rocky does, but I think it speaks to a little bit of why Coda won last year at Best Picture, um, at the Academy Awards. It's a film that just had a feel good, you know, kind of spirit to it um i don't know if it will have because we live in a different time and how we view films rocky you know being in a theater was probably it was a cultural you know phenomenon um at the time so but i think that that really again kind of speaks to why rocky was such a hit at the time with audiences and at the academy
0: well i know i totally agree with that because if you think about something like you know 1972 the godfather wins um, and i think like There's an element here of something that feels like a recognition of like, what is it to kind of control your life, right? Like, you know, so Rocky, Rocky is essentially like, you know, he's the muscle for this guy, Gazzo, Mm -hmm. who also, at some point, can we get a reference to in one of the modern films? Mm -hmm. Like, what happened to this dude? Because he seems like one of the things I think the film does, and maybe this is me being overly sensitive towards him, but... I think they portray him in a way that is not about his criminality because he's obviously doing criminal things, but it's not about criminality. It's about like a sense of like order and conduct and protection in neighborhoods that I think, you know, people who feel marginalized and forgotten in cityscapes, particularly like I think at this like cultural moment, when like that makes sense to me, like there is a sense of we have, you know, taking care of your own and taking care of your neighborhood. I think that's somewhat of why The Godfather was so appealing at the time because I think it provided a necessary order or a necessary way of looking at, you know, a potential of, like, what would it mean to have this, like, interconnected community space where someone's looking out for me? And I think, like, that's the weird thing with Gazzo is was, like, there's something kind of sensitive and sweet about oh, yeah. it. Like, he's not played for <laughs> villainy. He doesn't ever, you know, maybe because of the change in this, he never asked Rocky to throw the fight. He never tries to seem to fight. He gives Rocky money. But not with, like, well, you got to put this on the back of your thing. Like, it's just, no, I just want you to be taken care of. Right. It.
1: This being only the second time now that I really remember watching it all the way through, um, it was funny that you said that because I remember when he was giving him the money this time, I'm sitting there going, wait, is there a whole storyline where he tells Rocky to, like, throw it or something like that? But then when I saw it went, no, this is just... Th- The nicest, for the most part, you know, little mob (laughs) crime boss that I've seen on film. With (laughs) asthma. Right? What what is that? It's such a random throw-in Can I tell you
0: what it is? And I don't know if it was a decision by the director, by Stallone, by the actor playing him, by the costume designer. Mm -hmm. I don't know who made that decision. But I think there's a way of, like... There is something about how Stallone plays Rocky that is so immediately tender that although, yes, physically impressive, I don't think he lords over people in scenes. There's something about how he kind of like cocks his head to the side and like looks down and is taking notes and puts the glasses on like that I think are all so intentional to make himself look diminutive and non-threatening even though his whole entire job is to be threatening for this guy so I think that moment is like this visual reminder of like yeah Gaz was in charge but like Rocky could take him like (laughs) please remember what the actual power dynamics here would be if called upon it's um you know there's so many
1: little things you know throughout sprinkled throughout that are just these small things that I just don't feel Yeah, I don't want to it's a little broad brush when I say this, but like that I feel like you wouldn't normally have seen back then that I feel like are more of a modern um, way to do things, but I, I think are so great at character building. And you talked about the glasses to me are such a huge thing. You have this bulky boxer, right? And, you know, he's a crime, you know, or loan shark, like, shaking people down, all of these things he's on the, not the streets. loan shark, he's Wearing blackie. his leather jacket, you know. Yeah. Like, he puts on these, like essentially dorky reading glasses even when he's just with the crime boss like gazo like it's just a neat it's a really smart little add-on
0: well i think it's also it's that like he has that little notepad like he has to take notes to do this and i think this is like you know why this film i think can be so heartening because he's like he's such a tender being and like he's i think like all so robert campbell is the costume designer for this film literally only did this film this was it. Oh well. and, and so I, I couldn't find a lot about like what choices were particularly his and what weren't. Um, and I wish I could have found out more in that regards before this. Um, but, you know, I, I think about there was probably all of these little things. And I have a feeling because Sylvester Stallone seems so engaged in the part that there were probably a lot of little decisions that were being made. Because like obviously there was this particular move to making him someone that can feel relatable and and feel um like fully fully three-dimensional for the audience like he yeah like he wants to box because he sees that as a way out like he sees that as a way of like having pride he's someone who's like you know I think about how much is done in the beginning of this to show him like taking care of the community and like you know tending to other people around him and I think like the glasses like I wonder if that was Stallone's take of like This is something that needs to be part of it. Or just a reminder of, like, well, he's a boxer. His vision's probably messed up. Yeah. Because he's fighting in these (laughs) fights where, I mean, he... Right.
1: These are are in church (laughs) basements, and he's
0: being yelled at, and it's kind of awful.
1: As as somebody that grew up loving the sport of boxing (laughs) and watching these movies, um, Rocky ruined boxing for most people that were the casual fan, because when (laughs) they would go and watch an actual fight, they didn't understand that everybody didn't just fight wars. (laughs) Also... Some concerns for Rocky and his health. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we, you talked before, and I, I want to circle back to this with the Polly thing, um, and I thought that it was interesting because what I think can be lost, and I speak of this as somebody who did not watch the original until, unfortunately, a few years ago, you forget how much the sequels build up some of the lore of these characters of the whole story. And you forget, like, you don't realize that they're not in this original. And I think Polly is a great example of this. And although he never becomes a full-on positive character... Never. He's definitely much more likable, um, much more interesting as it goes, um, you know, humorous. Like, he's got his flaws. But he's not as completely...
0: <laughs> Here is what I'm going to say. And maybe this is the the benefit or the detriment of having seen Rocky first. I never liked Paulie because he's so awful in this movie. I can never shake. And like and I don't know if there's something cuz I can't remember in the sequels if they talk about this, but there's a specific Moment where you see a photograph of Paulie and he's in a military yeah. uniform, and I believe you're supposed to know him to have been a veteran, and my guess is he's supposed to be a Vietnam veteran. Yes. Um, I can't remember. Is that referenced later? And I'm forgetting. You know,
1: you said it about Gaza as well, and I'm like, I don't. There may have been lines, um, but I don't. There's nothing of any. Substance that goes back to that, so there may be maybe a line or two, or maybe a reference, but there's nothing of any like real building on that.
0: Okay, and like, and that's where I felt bad, even like, because I remember I caught the photo in the one shot, and I went, "Is that what this is?" is let somewhat- me
1: let me refer- let me put a little asterisk to that. Yeah, um, because what I can also say as a, how could you for me is Rocky two.
0: <laughs> You've not seen Rocky two not no
1: (laughs) um let me rephrase this i do not remember it like i know how it ends i know i've seen the ending of rocky 2 i can promise you that but i do
0: not so you're telling me until 2020 you had seen three four five six but not one and two that would be correct. Just so you know, we're taking care of two this weekend. Like, I am not even kidding. Like, cancel all of our plans. We're taking two this weekend. No Super Bowl? No Super Bowl. But Don Beebe promised me the Buffalo Bills are playing in the Super Bowl. Spoiler alert, they're not. And also, it's a two-hour movie. We can watch that and watch the Super Bowl. It's fine. But you're not watching the Super Bowl until you've watched Rocky II. Um, Talking about, obviously, the film itself and some of the scenes in the beginning, you have that... Um, great and kind of like stark and dark um you know opening fight um where we get introduced to what rocky has been doing like what realm of fighting that he's in um i really love the camera work in the scene because you're only ever in the view of the spectator or like like at rope level you're never like really in it like we are later in the film um Uh, we're not
1: really in it later either
0: but differently, there's yeah. different shots use and different techniques yes. used. I think to distinguish to make you feel the difference of those shots, um, you know. And you have a lot that's done here with the production design and the mise en scène to make you feel kind of the 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 broken and kind of downtrodden nature of the space that like Rocky lives in. Um, you know, from this, you know, particular, I think it's supposed to be like a church space. It's like a church basement. Cause I, we get a religious image in the beginning. I apologize. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, I should. Um, and then, you know, you go to, you have him walk through Philadelphia. Um, it's the kind of the starkness of the cityscape, this kind of like, it, it's, it's somewhat bleak looking, um, but I think also like authentic and like, and done in a way that I think is meant to be done with care. Like, I don't think it's trying to make it seem seedy or awful. I think it's just trying to show like this, this is a blue collar city and we will going show it that I way. Mean, we,
1: we certainly get that in, in a heap Fool with, you know, like you said, the this dim-lighted um, gymnasium or church and the low-angle shots. I love the the fact that Rocky leaves the ring and just starts smoking. Oh uh, <laughs> it's just... He also made only 45 bucks on the fight. I mean, and he took a lot of headshots in this, like, rando <laughs> fight. Like, I love that... Like, we know that this is gonna be the hero or our character that we're following to this huge championship fight, but he's, like, barely making it through with this rando guy. Um you know, in this underground, what feels like an underground fight. Like it's, I think that's really interesting. And I agree with you. It's, it's, uh, it's a nice flow into, um, the city of Philadelphia during the opening credits. Well, it's
0: not the most auspicious start, right? right. Like, it's not like, oh man, this guy's down I and mean, like, yes, we know him to be the hero because I mean, you have that great opening, you know, you have the great opening title with already that phenomenal Bill Conti score that just, you know, is so much, I think, has to contribute to how iconic this film feels. I mean, you can't get someone to reference wanting to have, like, an epic sports moment and that score not playing in some way. Like, that music is so incredibly important to this film and I think like sports culture just going forward for how inspiring it feels
1: yeah we also get the uh, the iconic rocky look right um, the rocky hat yeah. <laughs> you know uh, the black eye stitches the leather jacket the black pants the fingerless gloves like yeah. I mean I think when you see people at, at Halloween right that is that's usually the rocky look they're yeah. going for um, and also what's the deal with the bouncing ball
0: it's great. Right. He has to be occupied constantly. Yes. It's the like, I think that um, like I take it as it's like a reflex and a tactile thing yeah. because like Rocky kind of is always in movement and kind yeah. of always touching, grabbing, moving. And I think there's like something about him that needs to be kind of like constantly in motion. Yeah, I
1: get that. That's a very be- boxing wrestling type of be- contact um, sport like that.
0: The moment he's thing. like at his stillest in the entire film is later on with Mickey. And that is a scene that is filled with immense pain and sorrow, I think that guy has to be moving or he's going to have to really sit with what's going on with him, I think, mentally and emotionally.
1: Not important to anything, but no. I do have to ask you. Yes. We get to Rocky's apartment. Yeah. Why don't we have more just high school yearbook pictures of ourselves on the bathroom mirror? I think we might
0: start doing it. <laughs> why does he have two high, two school pictures of himself in this... <laughs> Well, so here's the thing. I think it's, like, a really sad thing, because, like, he doesn't have anyone. Like, there's no family. Like, he, like, whatever the story it. Or, I just took a funny <laughs> thing and I made it sad. <laughs> oh, no! It made me, me feel bad. I'm so sorry! Now I feel bad,
1: like, for this fictional character. <laughs>
0: because if I'm being honest, like, the first Rocky, like, really bums me out. And it takes me a long time to get out of that bummed-out space. <laughs> like, because he's... There's something, like... So tragic about how he feels and like why I think he's like such a like a perfect kind of, you know, stand in, I think, for like at the spirit of Philadelphia, because he's someone who's like obviously been through a lot and has had to try and retain some element of like that kind of keep moving forward philosophy of life.
1: And I think we could take that for, you know, really all Mickey for Adrian for. Polly, even in, I know, even with his flaws. Like, I, I do agree with you. I think I think they do a nice job of putting that spirit on all of these characters with different variations of it. Um, but but obviously him. I, I do, you know, we see pretty quickly that he's the goon with a heart of gold, right? Like, when he, he doesn't break the guy's thumbs.
0: Yeah, exactly, because, like, I think like, he feels badly, and Gazzo's like, you're gonna give me a reputation, man.
1: Legit truth. Yeah. I because you as you pointed out earlier that's not referenced in the sequels that i have any knowledge of or remembering of i was actually really thrown off by that i didn't know that about this character oh my god that's when right. we saw it for the first time a couple of years i was like there was there's a lot that i wasn't surprised by right but because i didn't know so much about the story but that was actually legitimately something i went wait no. Rocky, Rocky was kind of a criminal?
0: What like, <laughs> kind of, Toss. He was, like, a full-on criminal. Like, well, Again, criminal with a heart of gold. Well, and, so like, and some that's of That's the best kind of criminal. It is the best kind of criminal. Because then you're like, oh, I like it when you triumph. Like, <laughs> but, like, because that's, like, so, like, further cemented. Because, like, obviously, Gazzo has that, like, his driver, Buddy, who's, like, a total, total, like, rotten human being. And, like, because later on, like, it's, I think, because Buddy, Buddy is, like, you know, over and over again using the R slur about Adrian. And, and Rocky's getting pissed. And then Gazo like, gives this line. He says, some guys they just hate for no reason. And I remember thinking, like, that felt really profound. Like, the fact that there's, like, a mob boss who's having to look at, like, his goon and be like... Dude, some people are just hateful, and it's really hard to get your head around, and I think it's, like, all of those lessons that, like, Rocky – because, like, Rocky doesn't – I don't think perceives the world with hate. Despite being in a very violent sport, I don't think he approaches life that way, even though his job is to go beat people up if they don't give Gazzo money.
1: (laughs) I do also think that somebody's probably yelling at us because I have a, I guarantee you we're mislabeling what Gazzo was. Like, I feel like he's some type of crime boss. He may not actually be mob. Do we know that he's... No,
0: I think he's supposed to be a lone shark. I
1: gotcha. Okay. I
0: think he's supposed to... But Mickey
1: calls him, uh, calls Rocky a lone shark. I I don't know what actually a lone shark is. No, I
0: think he calls Gazzo a lone shark. And I think because, like, Rocky works for him because I think that's why, like, Mickey thinks he's a bum because he doesn't want, like, this, like, criminal element yeah. Like, in his gym, which feels, like, hyper-judgmental for no reason. Because, like, obviously Rocky's supposed to be a good dude. But, like, you know, so we... And I, I know we're kind of... Rocky's kinda, a
1: tomato. <laughs> Mickey calls him a tomato. <laughs>
0: um, what do you think of Mickey's gym? Would you want to go in there or do you think you would get tetanus? <laughs> That's so gross in there. The answer
1: is both, like, right? Like, I mean, the answer is yes to both. Like
0: Mickey's um, ice cold. He's some, like... No nonsense, like first generation Irish, super mean, but like tells a good story kind of dude.
1: He is. Um, he he it is a very much a tell it like it is. He's kind of a jerk. Um, <laughs> there's the not a lot of tenderness at any point in him. Um. But I do agree with you. I think life has, has put him there. Life has beat him down, which we, you know, obviously get that really uh, remarkable scene later to talk about that. But before we get there, like after, because after we meet Mickey here in the, in the gym, we, we meet Polly for the first time at the Lucky Seven Tavern.
0: Which... Has such a great cameo. It
1: does. You told me this. I was so shocked by this. So if
0: you if you don't know this, um, so Rocky in his benevolent state um, picks up a drunk outside of the Lucky Seven Tavern who's wearing a red beanie. Uh, that drunk is Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs>
1: The great Lloyd Kaufman of trauma <laughs> yeah, of films. It, I mean, yeah, and just so awesome. <laughs> much,
0: so much of this comes down to because, like, this film was, had incredibly low budget, uh, comparatively speaking, to the success that it would have in some ways as one of, like, the great kind of not independent film stories, but low-budget film stories making it to Oscar gold, um, you know, and, and they had to use people that were just, like, willing to be on set, and uh, Lloyd Kaufman was one of those people. It's a lot of Stallone's relatives... And then Lloyd Kaufman.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. I, I just love that. The fact that you pointed that out this time is just my fa- one of my favorite cameos. Um, uh, the Lucky Seven Tavern, I think it's most more importantly than Polly um, at this point, is we get the first uh, viewing of Apollo. Yeah. Uh, we get to see the interview with him on, yes. on the TV. And there's this great, you know, moment with uh, Rocky and the bartender. And the bartender wants to kind of, you know, like, again, not to <laughs> lump them all together with this very Philadelphia like ah, oh, that guy's a bum like you know not a fan and Rocky's just sitting there like he's the heavyweight champ in the world like what are you talking about like yeah. and there's just kind of good back and forth between them of like Rocky kind of not knowing where he is in his life and the bartender being very content in his life like it's, yeah. a, it's an interesting back and forth but Rocky then leaving the Lucky Seven Tavern we get the introduction to Marie.
0: <laughs> Screw you, creepo.
1: <laughs> so this interesting with this, like, Rocky just spitting truth at Marie, trying, like, again, it just really builds this character of this, you know, he's just a kind individual. He's trying to do all the right things. He's trying to put this this betterment out in the world. And, you know, in a, in a city that's that's a little bit broken, a little bit beat down, it's like not everybody's going to be receptive of that moment right but it's interesting because we do get a payoff on this years later when maria Marie pops back up in Rocky Balboa, right? Yeah. So <laughs>
0: And like, look, I mean, I'm sure much in our modern purview could be made about some of the gender politics of the conversation, yes. but I think it's coming <laughs> I'm glad from, you said it. <laughs> from But this is the thing. Even even me, I watched and I thought, I think this is coming from a place of love, of understanding. Look, this neighborhood is hard and people label quickly, and whether that's fair or not is a different conversation, but I need you to be aware of what the state of yeah. this neighborhood is. And I think there's something like really beautiful about a person who is, I mean, like he has no connection to Marie. He doesn't have to say any of this. There's really no benefit to him that we know of at that point or nothing. That's really, he's not looking for anything. I think he's just looking to be this protector in this space. And I think again, it's supposed to speak to the general character of, of Philadelphia as a city of a city, you know, city of brotherly love. Well, this is the expression of that, yeah. of, of what does it mean to kind of want to take care of the people who live around you, like, and to be connected to them in this way that he's like so well known. Um, so from there, we get, you know, this goes into the moment where we actually get to see Apollo, not through a television screen. Right. But in his office, when the fight falls out, and he has this incredible, you know, he comes up with the idea of like what this is going to be. What if we give some Philadelphia upstart, like a son of Philadelphia, the chance to fight Apollo Creed? And what I love about this so much, I know we said this earlier, is there's nothing villainous about him. He's smart. And he has that great line of some when he describes this idea of it being like during the bicentennial and someone says, it's very American. And he goes, no, it's very smart. (laughs) And I love that. The quippiness of that line makes me so happy. Actually, the quippiness of a lot of his lines are really so entertaining. But I also think it's like so important of like to speak to the real spirit of sport is to set up an opposition as an opponent and not as a villain. Not as like Apollo Creed secretly like just out for money or he's a bad person or he's mean or he's unkind or he doesn't want to give Rocky the time of day. It's like not about that for him. It's just about, I want to put on a good show and a good show would be this. So let's just commit to that. There's something really cool about that that I don't know that you get in many sports films because I think there is such a sense of like... Like even, like, even in the Mighty Ducks, man, when they're, like, in D2, when they're skating against Iceland, it's like, oh, they're mean because they're right. from Iceland, which is ridiculous. But, like, this is about, like, no, there's a sense of, like... Yeah, we're going to have to fight each other, but that, that doesn't mean I have to hate you. And no, Hey, yeah. audience, you don't have to hate him either. Right. Yeah, Such a cool move. Yeah,
1: I agree with you, and, and it's endearing to that character. Uh, Apollo Creed, my mom's favorite uh, Rocky character of all time.
0: Amazing. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, but then we get to the question, Lauren. Yeah. Is Rocky the greatest Thanksgiving film of all time?
0: How is this... it a
1: Thanksgiving film? You know
0: what? I, I am going to blame me. For totally dropping the ball on this, I've never bring because like you can't be blamed for this. Yeah, all right, but I should be blamed for this. Um, first off, it's uh, the most tragic uh, Thanksgiving film um, of recent memory because throwing the bird out is so ruthless and so ice cold. I cannot deal with it. And why he thinks that then Adrian's gonna want to go out? I'd be like, no, I just like made this turkey and now you threw it out and it's Thanksgiving and Polly our life is already pretty sad and now we don't even get to have turkey on Thanksgiving. Ridiculous.
1: In Polly's defense here. Polly's an idiot. His um he he had the way he goes about it may not be the best. However, is it not for him pushing that these two finally go out on their first date.
0: (sighs) I believe it would have happened no matter what. Polly will get no flowers from me, but I will ask: Is this one of the great romances in film history? A hundred percent. It's so good, right? Yeah. It's so tender. Yeah. It's so sweet. I mean, all right, they're, the first time she goes to his apartment is awkward as hell, but <laughs> like,
1: well, they're awkward as hell. I mean, they fill the gaps. Lauren, they fill Aww, the gaps of each other. That's nice. What um, you, just said. you know, I think. Uh, yeah I mean this is one of the great romances of of all film time I mean again we're talking a little bit more sequels than I think we had intended but it, it's hard not to with these characters uh because again it's a it's a real um credit to the longevity of this franchise and everything where this is this is a love that you know yeah they have their moments but there's such a love there they stick by each other through the for it through it all, like all the way through, you know, even Rocky Balboa and, and, you know, unfortunately him having to grieve her passing, like, like that mm-hmm. love is still there. Like, yeah, I, absolutely. This is one of the great love stories of all time. And, and, you know, it's a great way to start it in this film.
0: Well, and it's so sweet. And, like, and I just, I love. I love how she just slowly starts to open up and get more comfortable with him because I think you're to get like the sense like, look, I don't think growing up um, with Polly was easy. Their parents are gone. This is a woman who's obviously had intense hardships and has probably felt really, isolated herself and has sent her into a space of like seems pretty closed off. Um, I'm sure there's like a rich kind of text that would offer like a backstory of Adrian that would kind of get into some more of those circumstances. But, like, I just, I love how how sweet this is. Like, he doesn't want to skate, but he wants her to have that opportunity to skate because Polly has told him that she likes that. I love the cute interplay of, ten like... Ten bucks
1: for ten minutes, man.
0: I know. And, like... It's a
1: terrible deal just for the record. It's, like,
0: the worst. He's, like, <laughs> getting robbed. But, like, I just love that, like, she asks him, like, you know, like, why do you fight? And he says, because I can't sing or dance. <laughs> like, you know, it's just... They're so precious. And, like, there's... I think also too is like there is an element here of like Rocky going from kind of tilting his head down and trying to shrink himself in the world to trying to be as big as possible for her. Like I think there's a real element here in the story of like a a person's devotion to their partner and obviously that comes to like its its biggest fruition at the end of the film but there's something about this of like I think in many ways and I don't think it's too like twee to say this but like in his greatest accomplishment is having her in the end and That doesn't seem like your typical sports story, but I feel like it feels like just as triumphant as any other film.
1: Yeah, I I agree completely with you. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, you know, and we're going to talk about the ending and everything, but I think it speaks to if this is one of the great love stories of all time, all you have to do is look to that ending um, for you know, validation of that. And um, and even, like, I think about the posters and just some of, you know, the, the imagery of Adrian and Rocky together and everything. But I do have to ask this question. Did Rocky invent the she's all that?
0: No, stop it. Just <laughs> at, No, I thought you were hinting at the sur- Stop it.
1: Just Adrian, take off the glasses. <laughs> take off the hat. Oh, my God, you are beautiful.
0: First off, <laughs> Tellia Shire, always a dish. Doesn't matter what she's wearing. Listen, the red coat is kind of a big moment. Like, again, costume designer knew what they were uh, doing. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's it's kind of, it, it is fantastic, but it does feel kind of I, dramatic. I'm pro
1: Adrian keeping the glasses and the hat. Because I do appreciate that Rocky cures her vision, because once he has her take off the glasses, she never needs to wear them again.
0: Yeah, and there's not, like, you know, there's so many lines to cover so many ills in this movie, and that's just one thing they were like... Not "Mm." just in
1: this movie, never again. Like, never again.
0: Five more movies. Does she have the glasses on, though, after she gives birth? Uh, Because I'm almost positive she does. When she's in, like... She's got like the fleecy nighty, and she's in the hospital and she's just given birth. I think she has the you glasses be, on. Someone right fact that. check <laughs> us and <laughs> let us know.
1: <laughs> you um, could be right about that.
0: You know, but then this like, you know, you kind of have like the establishment of their relationship as something like hearty. And that's going to be really beautiful because then this is going to lead into Rocky's, you know, well, the sports part of this, of like he's going to get offered this incredible opportunity to fight on this like kind of incredible grand stage. Um, and something that could entirely change his life or be totally inconsequential to his life in a one-time thing. And obviously the film series does a lot to show this as like this watershed moment that leads to this like really fruitful and, you know, quite fame-filled uh, career in that way. Um, but something, I think one of the most important passages in this film, and I, and obviously I know we were just talking so much about his relationship with Adrian, is obviously this moment when Mickey comes to his apartment and you you started talking about this earlier about like mickey as a as a broke down character himself, like how do you feel when you watch this scene? What are your emotions around it um it's
1: weird w- way to see Mickey, especially um You know, here's this this character that seems like he's kind of no nonsense, all of this stuff. But really what you get in this scene is you see what he really is at this point in his life. He's and and I don't this is going to sound more negative than I mean it or more harsh, but he's kind of this sad and pathetic type of individual at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. Like he's at the end of his life and he's kind of at the end of his life just reflecting and he's na- he's trying to find his moment or his moment again. So much so that he is going as far as just begging Rocky. Like, here's the guy that he, you know, he saw so much in, but he kind of passed off and, like, pushed off. And, and now, where has that led him to but having to come to Rocky and and just put himself out there and shed himself um, and, and just essentially... Beg uh, to be taken on because he needs that. He needs this at this point in his life, you know, some revalidation, which is really, again, it goes to what we're talking about with all of these characters, right? I mean, it's, it's Polly who's been broken down by war and, and, and everything. It's, um, you know, Adrian who's looked upon negatively throughout her community and um, for no apparent reason than just because she's shy and quiet and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then Rocky, obviously. And now we have Mickey, who, you know, for a moment we think he's won. And then, and I think this is such a really amazing scene. One of my favorites. Of viewing, you know, again, Rocky after seeing all the sequels because I see such a different version of Mickey that I wasn't used to seeing in the other films. Um, and, you know, that just that back and forth. And we obviously get the really impassioned, you know, Rocky moment of, of yelling back at him.
0: Well, and I also think, like, it's just important. Not, you know, for for Mickey and for Rocky because I think everything you said is, like, spot on about Mickey. And I think it's, like... You know, Rocky's life has been just like a series of people not helping or not being kind um, or, as you said, looking at him a certain way. And although he is seemingly, for the most part, been able to push through all of this and still look at the world with some sense of hope and optimism and community, I think this is the moment where we get to see there is a type of help that he's cynical towards. And I think mm. that type of help is mentorship. Like, I think Gazo is a boss to him but what he needs from mickey is a type of mentorship that obviously rocky has been denied so much of his life like we Mm -hmm. don't know when his parents passed away we don't know what kind of family dynamics he had but it's obviously something that has made him sensitive towards the idea of people not believing in him in that kind of way that are supposed to really like he wants to be taken under someone's wing he wants to be taken care of and i think there is both this like desperation of mickey saying i'm 76 years old and also rocky you know saying like this is where you want me like now you want me like and this is shot so well because it's it's done the camera work here is everything to make mickey seem really small in this small space and like the shot That is taken from, like, the high vantage point on the staircase with Mickey and he turns back and the, like, the pink or, like, the red of the wallpaper is, like, casting this, like, pink hue on Mickey. It feels so sensitive and warm and, like, he's having to hear something that makes him, like, recognize this humanity and this depth in Rocky that this is, like... Not just an opportunity, this is not just a fighter, this is this person that, like, you get the sense that in this moment, Mickey believes in Rocky, but it's also this moment where Rocky has to be so incredibly still and just shout out all this pain yeah. that we've not even seen yeah. the hint of the entire movie, and it, when it comes out, damn it, is it impactful. Yeah. Yeah,
1: um, I 100 percent. I think you hit the nail on the head with all of that. It's just it, it's so incredibly impactful. It's it's what he needs at that moment. It's like you were talking about. It's like Rocky wants and needs mentorship, but he's also been alone for so long and he's been denied it so much that when it comes to him, he needs to just essentially burst out on Mickey for. All of the mentorship that he's missed out on, not just from Mickey, but, you know, probably his parents passing away early and and Mm -hmm. whoever has passed him over over these years. Um, So, yeah, I think it all comes out and it's this moment that they both need this, you know, but it's very hard for them both because of you know, what life has done to them to get there. And they have to kind of go through this really aggressive moment to, to get to the other side of it.
0: Well, no, and I love how you said all of it because it's so much about like, what does it mean to get to 30 years old and have to, which, you know, they act like is ancient in the movie, but like, <laughs> well, boxing it, it, it is. you're right, it is like, but to get to 30 years old and your life has been all of these unrealized dreams. And what does it mean to have to at 30 be like, I still need someone to help me. Like, man, that's like an impactful thing to put out there in the world. Well, and
1: I think that's that great line, too, of, of Mickey talking about like his prime and how he is you know, and Rocky come back and being like, you had a prime. I didn't even have a prime oh, like right. right? like, And that's where we get spinning into sad Rocky score. Oh, like, <laughs> tone it down, right? Yeah. And we also have Sylvester Sloan teaching everybody that raw eggs will make you an incredible champion.
0: <laughs> Kids, if you're listening, I'm, one, I'm not doing an egg white cocktail this week because it'd be too on brand. And two, please don't swallow raw eggs, especially not six of them. At one time, I also appreciate something, again, like a brilliant move by the costume designer, because this is something I think he holds back on until this scene, is how threadbare his training clothes are. Mm -hmm. Like, you see him in, like, the jacket. Well, the jacket covers a lot of sins, and he has, like, one great gray sweater. And then... (laughs) You all of a sudden see he's got like holes in his stuff and he's running in chucks. I don't know if you've ever tried to run in chucks audience, but it is like not easy. There is like no arch support.
1: <laughs> this is why you couldn't get up the stairs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was like, Rocky, you are a boxer, man. Like, I, he's really struggling on those stairs, man. Like I do now because I am completely out of shape, but you were still <laughs> a professional fighter. Uh, but I, I mean, you know, but I think that's that's the neat part about that. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, and you get the continued storyline here, too, because then like, this goes into the, the the meat locker. You know, because, like, it, you first you learn that you can eat raw eggs, and then you right. get to learn that uh, you can punch raw meat. Um, So just, like, you know, salmonella transmission just, like, all over this place. <laughs> like, just all sorts of gross, like, cross-contamination <laughs> problems with this. But you get, like, the continued storyline of, like, Paulie's like, trying to work for Gazzo. Like, I think sees this as, like, something that could be potentially, like, fruitful for him and, like this constant, like, need for him to have Rocky get him in a space up, and then, you know, it's just... It's it's a great... I will say it's one of the more sensitive things with Pauly, I think, in this film, is, like, he's so desperate for a certain kind of attention, because I think he sees that, like... Well, Gazzo sees Rocky as this, like, big, tough guy. I kind of want to be seen as a big, tough guy, too. Like, I want to be seen as someone who can do that kind of work, and it's like, dude, you have a stable job. Like, Rocky's like, why would you give this up? Like, yeah, you're around, like, dead carcasses all day, and, like, right. and you also get that... Really, again, like super sensitive line from Rocky when he's like, "Who killed all these things?" And I'm right. like, "Oh, Rocky, that's so sad <laughs> that you would see the meat, and that would be what came to mind." I find first. this scene
1: interesting too because we get the the shot with Duke watching the interview in the meat locker, and it's that moment that Duke starts to realize because now Duke also knows that Apollo is essentially being a little cocky, like a little yeah. overlooking, you know, Rocky. For starters, he doesn't take Duke's advice that. Rocky's the southpaw um, where he says he knows that that can be a problem for Apollo and then now here's this moment where you know Apollo's putting on the show he's getting the show together while Rocky's out there like you know pounding meat stop it
0: Speaking of which, women weaken the legs. We also get that lesson that Rocky's not allowed to do it during training. That's true,
1: very true. Um, yeah, I, I do like that we get eat lightning and crap thunder and women weaken the legs within just a very brief period of time.
0: Just these great like Mickey like aphorisms that like carry throughout the series of like and like. Poor Adrian's like really no okay all right well I guess Speaking like no Adrian, fun on holidays.
1: What's your thoughts on Bette Midler or Cher playing Adrian?
0: No, no, originally
1: considered for the role. There was actually another actress, I apologize, um, who was actually originally cast. And before production, they ended up not working out her contract. So she stepped out of it. That's when Bette Midler and Cher were considered first. And then obviously I, I can't even I can't see.
0: No, because here's the thing. Both Cher and Bette Midler, although great actresses, look like take no shit kind of women. Like, yeah. and nothing is Talia Shire, but there's, like, a...
1: You know what? As I'm thinking of it, though, like, it's a... Yeah, you're you're actually, yeah, you're bringing up a really great point there. Because I'm thinking, like, Cher and Mask, or, like, but- some of those earlier roles with Cher. Um, she, she... <laughs> She would kind of have that, like, if if Rocky was a Boston boxer, like, I feel like Cher could work. She got... <laughs> I see her play a little more Amy Adams or what I think you're about to say.
0: So you're saying a Southie who's going to be like, I'm taking my kids to my sisters this weekend. <laughs> yes. If you fight again... Sorry, if you've watched SNL, there was a really great, like, moment with the one... I, I every, Boston the, every Boston girlfriend.
1: boxer's girlfriend. Every Boston boxer's girlfriend.
0: And it's like, here's the thing. Actually, every, like, Boston guy's girlfriend... If you've watched like anything where it's supposed to be set in like, you know, you're like more impoverished sections of Boston, there's always like kind of a woman who's like, I'm taking the kids to my sisters this weekend. It's actually, you know, you may be listening to us and go, this is dumb, guys. This is not hitting, but it hit for us. It's one of those episodes of SNL where everything hit.
1: Now we get into Christmas. Yeah. So now it's turned into a Christmas film, um, which do they really? They make a lot of Rocky films around Christmas anyway. Oh, uh. yeah, they really do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is when we find out this goes more back to what you were talking about. Polly is literally the worst brother of all time and one of the worst characters.
0: And, you know, and maybe it's because I have excellence in an older brother form. But like it just makes me so upset because he's so <laughs> mean to her. And she's like, you made me feel like a loser. Like, this is awful. This is so painful to watch. And, like, they just want to watch her Christmas carol, Polly. Like, yeah. chill out, dude. Alistair
1: Sim version too.
0: I know. For
1: all you folks that didn't come out to Nostalgia Cinema <laughs> back in November for our version when we showed that. Um, I'm glad, you know, to know Rocky and Adrian would have been there with us. But I think this moves us into literally what Rocky films are remembered for. Dude. What every athlete, Ugh. every wannabe athlete, every person that gets themselves off the couch thinks of in their head when they just give that little bit of, they need that little bit of motivation.
0: Honestly and truly, I just, all I wrote in my notes was, damn it, this hits every time. Yeah. Like, it's just, first off, it's, it's getting to see him Run through Philadelphia, like down South Street, down through the Italian market. The people kind of like looking at him as Philadelphians would have, like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. Why is he running in the middle of the road? But like, but also this feeling of like a city behind him, like running in your neighborhood, what it means to like represent this space. Like it just, that music, how it's edited, everything about this. And look, I know logistically how he runs, where he runs does not make sense. I know that based upon if you geographically charted out. It's actually like 25 that's miles No,
1: that's in Rocky, II that is they, that Rocky two. That's Rocky two. That's the 30 mile.
0: Is that one that happens? Yeah. Cause that's the one where it's actually people are cheering for yes. him in the streets. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But like, you know, it's, it's, when Rocky, when Rocky, when mm. it's such a great moment, which you thought was in this movie, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just such <laughs> a great moment. And like, and you know, and the thing is, it's like, What There are very few other things I can think of from film history that have inspired that an an event now happens at a location because that was filmed there. Where if you go to Philadelphia and you go to the Museum of Art, you're going to see people attempting to run, because we've tried it, it's hard, man, those stairs are a lot, attempting to run up those steps. Like, what other film can you think of that has really inspired the type of reaction of, oh, I'm at and what it is referred to as the rocky steps not the right. museum steps <laughs> right. the
1: rocky steps <laughs> yeah it, you're right it, there's a statue
0: a, of a fictional character
1: <laughs> very important statue right yes. like a statue Dump- from the film Brought to Philly, has moved a few times, but I think now is in its rightful home next to the, as you've put them, the Rocky Steps. So Don't which is be exactly, putting
0: your rival sport team no, jerseys on absolutely. it, because that's a way you lose, man. I love man. this
1: new curse that they seem to have found. Um... Do they have to grease the Rocky statue to make sure nobody climbs <laughs> it after a win?
0: No, people have too much respect for Rocky. <laughs> yeah. They
1: would never climb him. But like you said, like to me, we always talk about moments of film that transcend. And I think there's probably a lot that can argue in this film of things that transcend. But I think that Rocky score is transcends this film, right? I, I It's probably people who haven't seen Rocky like me um but yeah, i mean no. you know but like no i think everybody almost everybody could hear the first couple of notes of that and and know you know this what movie it's from what it's referencing like
0: it feels like epic and beautiful it's it's edited really well together not as fast paced as i think later rocky training montages but like with all of the urgency of like what is about to happen um i like that they take the moment to do like kind of the you know they they slow down the frame rate you know and, and with him with the arms up with philadelphia in the background like it feels it feels so monumental and such this incredible charge up To get to the fight. Like, so it feels like this, like, transcendent moment that's going to, you know, catapult him into, you know, the fight at the Spectrum.
1: R.I.P. to the Spectrum. R.I.P. Spectrum. What a great location. Remember the time you were at the Spectrum and and the the ghost guy just kept following you around. Yeah,
0: I do remember that. We, I have been to a sporting event at the spectrum. I've been to a concert at the spectrum. I've also been to a haunted house at the spectrum. It's <laughs>
1: the strangest thing. It was like eight haunted houses built into the spectrum,
0: like a thousand people in attendance. But this mm-hmm. one ghost guy kept following me everywhere and would just pop out of the most random places.
1: The most random story that nobody will find funny, but I just will never forget. We thought we were going to get to almost the last house where he didn't pop up, and then all of a sudden he comes flying around the corner. There was a ramp and starts rolling down the ramp (laughs) yelling, wait, wait for me, just so he could get there and come up to you and go, boo. (laughs) One of the funniest things I will remember. You are all... Welcome for that story. (laughs) That makes no sense. Um, But, yeah, I love that he visits the spectrum.
0: Um, You get a great goof here. Mm -hmm. Um, So... The the production design team had messed up the poster uh, with uh, changing the color of Rocky's shorts on the poster. Uh, it was supposed to be the inversion of that. Um, so Rocky makes a comment to it, and then the promoter says, like, does it really matter? <laughs> and the reason for this is Sylvester Stallone wrote the line in because he was like, I don't want anyone seeing the movie and thinking we made the mistake. I mean, we did make the mistake, so I'm going to call it mm-hmm. out and then add this weight to it of, like, the promoter going... In the grand scheme, like, does this really matter? Like, is it going to matter? No, you're not going to win, so what does this right, matter? Right, But it's, like, this great that he cares that it might be inaccurate. It's
1: a really good moment, too, with this, you know, anybody that whoever followed. So, I will say, like, I grew up with Box, and it was a huge thing with my dad. And, and I think we may have talked about this in other shows, but, like we grew up, it was something I bonded with, with another thing that I got to bond with my dad. But even in my family, like we had fight nights all the time. People would come over. My uncle Dave would be over. My uncle, great. Like all of our family. But I especially remember my dad and my uncle Dave and going to see fights with them all the time. Never to an actual fight. One of my great like bucket, if you want to call them bucket list things I never got to do from a sporting event thing would be to see like a big prize fight. Um, But so always remember that. So, It was like, what we know about this sport is there was a lot of seediness to this sport, obviously. And that's always been the tough part about it. Um, But I love the promoter who's pumping up Rocky throughout the entire, you know, they're kind of pumping up Rocky. They're making a thing. And then you have this moment the night before where he knows and he says that. The slimy way that he just kind of says that. I think it's like, you know, to kind of put that doubt again in Rocky, like, oh, no, no, we built you up. But really, at the end of the day, we we know that you're... Now we, we've used you for what we've needed, and I don't need you anymore.
0: Well, and and there, that's
1: not on Apollo. That's the no, promoter. because I
0: do think that's, like, the huge difference here, because there's nothing about Apollo that's anything but classy. Like... You know, like, again, showy as anything. You know, when we get to fight night, I mean, he he comes in like Washington crossing the Delaware. Like, it's genius. (laughs) Like, there's a spectacle and an appreciation of the fun that's supposed to be around the sport. And I don't think for a second you're to think that he goes into this not respecting who Rocky Balboa is. Yeah, probably confident that he's going to win because he has every reason to think he should win. But at the same time, not with, like, disrespect towards him.
1: Yay. Um, And where Rocky is at. I mean, it's not talked about a lot, but it's one of maybe one of my favorite sports speeches I ever heard is when the night before he comes back after the spectrum and he lays down with Adrian and he gives her the come on, Adrian. It's true. I was nobody. But that doesn't matter either, you know, because I was thinking it really doesn't matter if I lose this fight. It really doesn't matter if this guy opens my head up either, because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody ever has gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go the distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. I mean...
0: the stuff, man! that is... (laughs) Damn, the writing's so good.
1: It is. It's, you know, and that's why this film is different. It's... Yeah. Because, again, it's not a... It's about the individual successes, the individual goals that we have in our life. It's not about wins or losses, right? Like too much time, that's all many will see. But what they don't see is the sacrifice. They don't see the journey. They don't see the personal triumph in these moments. Like it's and he encapsulates it so, you know, vividly, so, beautifully with this speech. It's not the most eloquently written dialogue, but it's not about that, right? It's 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 his voice. It's Rocky's voice. It's Rocky's spirit. And it's exactly as it should be said. And it's exactly perfectly put out there.
0: But that's the thing is that's what I think makes it eloquent. It is well written. It is, it is heartened to the fact of this is a guy from the neighborhood. This is how he should sound. Yeah. But it's not cheap language either. It's well written. It's pithy. It's wise. And I think this is the thing of like what, you know, what do we need? But maybe a story that where things don't work out. But what would it mean to find triumph in loss? What would it mean to not ascend but to have grasp something greater in not winning? That's an incredible lesson to teach us all. And that way Rocky becomes a cipher for us all because it's not about it really is not not about winning. It's about the fact of going the distance. What would it mean to fully commit myself to something even if I don't get my desired outcome? And could I just find pride in the journey itself? In so many ways, it's informing a way of approaching life that is much more realistic and much more hopeful than a story where the guy wins. Because the story where the guy wins, they end up doing that several times over. Yeah. But is that as inspiring? Does it hit as hard? Isn't it more to see that the only thing he's crying out for is for Adrian? That he just wants to be cut so he can get through a fight? He did go the distance. So in that way, this is the most inspiring way to look at it. Because I think it's so much more relatable and... and provoking us towards a type of lesson that we're to learn about how to measure what we actually should be proud of in life. Yeah.
1: I mean, and I think that's again, what puts this movie on a different level that it, it has the restraint that the sequels don't later have. It has the, um, foresight to know, (laughs) um, to see that, um, And it's just about, yeah, it's, I think it's more to the human nature. I think it's why it actually reaches out to so many people, right? Why it speaks to a city and then that city transcends, you know, this story transcends that because it goes back to most people can put themselves in this place of, no, we can't understand going 15 rounds in a heavyweight fight. But we can understand finding, trying to find the, the spirit and the motivation to complete something in our lives, to have the courage to do something. It's just, it's such a really beautiful sentiment.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I mean, like, you know, and it's funny is because like in the space we're getting, you know, we're at the end of this film, um, the boxing is so inconsequential (laughs) to everything we just said, which is how the film feels. Yeah. You know, I think there's really cool things done. I think this is shot. I like that you get the above ring shots because Mm. it makes you feel that this is epic and more grand than what we see in the beginning. You get things that feel more inside. Um, But at that, like we don't spend that much time in that fight. Like it kind of, it, it happens. It's a lot of buildup. It happens and it goes. Like, it's really, it it just becomes so not about this thing. Uh, How do you rate the boxing in this film? Do we like Um, or do we not like? I do.
1: I very much like. um, And whether it was uh, of the time or a choice, I I appreciate, we talked earlier about this and I think it still works. I like that it's shot and feels like we are the spectator of the fight. Um, Something that fighting films will later kind of miss is they put you so in the ring and so quick edited and everything that I, I I think you miss out on that I think you know other films do this really well and I don't think it's all about just being in the ring or not outside the ring but for this one I think it really works we are the spectator we've been built up to follow this character to cheer this character on um, and I think I think it's shot really well there are. I really like it from a boxing standpoint. I I think it works uh, really cool. There's a couple of things that are done in this scene that I think really... I really like. There's some really small moments. I love when Duke looks at Apollo and he says... He didn't know that this was a, I forgot what the line was, but he didn't know that this was a show. He's here for a fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, obviously Rocky keeps getting up. I, I love the moment when Rocky gets up and Apollo just gives him this look like, how are you still getting up?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, because there's that sense of like, this guy is conditioned to take yeah. on a lot more pain than I was the expecting. The rap should have stopped
1: this fight at least 12 to 13 times. See,
0: you think that's... I'm glad you're pointing that out because, like, talking about implausible things. I agree with you entirely that the fight should have been stopped. Uh, but I've got to bring up another implausible thing, and it comes back to, like, spectators. Did Paulie hire a woman? <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, I, well, he got that 3000 bucks for the uh, logo on Rocky's robe.
0: You're not answering my question. You said he has cash flow, you're, but she's yeah, not.
1: It's Paulie. No, okay. All right. I just want to make sure. He went, he got himself a coat. Yeah. And he got himself, himself a lady
0: because <laughs> he doesn't have a robot yet. Right. So to bring a lady,
1: um, you know, and I think also going back to, you're talking about this ending and um, you know, I don't, we're not inventing a wheel. I think when we say this, but I think it's such a bold and great choice to make them announcing the winner. Yeah. Barely audible. Like it so doesn't matter. Rocky doesn't even care. Like it's a split decision. Like I, I was thinking about this last night when yeah. I'm watching this because I'm like, oh, you're supposed to think that Rocky knew he lost at this point, sure. And then I'm like, I'm like, no, it's a split decision, which means now usually a split decision always goes to the champion, but, sure. <laughs> but no, it's Rocky could have won this fight, but he doesn't care. Like to the point where he's telling the interviewers to get out of his fi- like to stop putting things in his face. Like yeah. he just cares about seeing Adrian. Oh. I, I think it's such a really. Gr-
0: cool choice well and also too like and i think this is a decision by bill conti to make sure that the score crescendos when they say i love you not when Mm. the fight like yes there's the moment of intensification of the music when the fight ends but it crescendos when they say i love you what i think we're to i don't know if it's supposed to be the first time it's the first time we hear it in the Mm. film so it's like this really incredibly beautiful moment that is, is centered back around their relationship and not what happened during this fight, which makes it such an incredible sports film because it makes what I think that, you know, and I think you would agree the beauty of sports is supposed to be is that sports is really just a vehicle for for like the grander journeys in life. And well, his was her and and, and he got there. He went the distance in the fight and then he, you know, got his eye cut open, probably suffered some very severe like, I mean, he looks like. He looks like hell by the end of the fight. Yeah, he's not looking great. it's not great. (laughs) Like, someone should have stopped this. We, you know, I think this is
1: time to talk about the real Rocky, right? Sure. The inspiration for this movie. So, Chuck Wepner who was known as the Bayonne Bleeder. <laughs> um, uh, and it was because he bled all the time, <laughs> but he ends up...
0: Oh, it's just like a literal name. It was a
1: literal thing, right? Like, um, he would have, like, over 400 stitches throughout his career. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, so but grist. he turned it into, like, a positive thing yeah. where it was, like, kind of this, like, oh, well, you know, I can kind of push through anything. So he grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey. <laughs> um, or, yeah. Um he was quoted saying, like, he growing up there, you had to fight to survive. Like, so he ended up joining the Marines at 15 years old and was on their boxing team. He was credited during the time in Marines for saving three men's lives by pulling, you know, uh, the men out of a blazing airplane. Jeez. Um, he started fighting in 64, was doing most of his fights in Sea Caucus and North Bergen, you know. Again, similar to what you probably see, you know, the type of places that you kind of see at the beginning of Rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of a journeyman fighter. Um, he was tough, but he never kind of got over. Like, he ended up fighting Foreman at one point, uh, but got beat in the third round. He ended up being Sonny Liston's last fight. Oh, wow. And he always, was, he always said that Sonny Liston hit harder than anybody had ever uh, been around. Um he finished his career with 51 fights, 34 wins, 17 by KO, and 14 losses. But why are we talking about it, right? <laughs> like, Webner um, gets his fame because on March 24th, 1975, in Ohio, Webner fights Muhammad Ali. Um, it's a title fight, but it's supposed to be a cakewalk for Ali. Ali is a 40 to one favorite in this film or fight. Um, Ali is guaranteed $1.5 million to fight, and Wepner is guaranteed $100,000 for this fight. So this is important because this is more money than Wepner ever got. So that's why he takes this fight. And what it allows him to do is it allows him to go into Catskills cat and prep for eight weeks full-on because before that he would be boxing pro but he worked a day job like on road work and then would work in a liquor store and only train when he had opportunities to but this money allowed him to kind of go and and train properly um they asked him one time uh, the reporter asked him do you think you can survive against Ali to which he was quoted as saying I've been a survivor my whole life if I survive their Marines I can survive Ali So he goes into this thing, and it's a really back-and-forth fight. Like, no one's expecting it. Webner's kind of giving Ali everything he can handle. In the ninth round, he actually ends up knocking down Ali. So, obviously, you can see where, you know. This is only the fourth time that Ali has ever been knocked down. It is important to note that Ali... Had always said that he stepped on his foot and that's <laughs> why he got knocked down. But what it did was it caused all the drama. So Webner actually goes into his corner and says to his his um, his manager and says, "Start the car up. We're gonna go go into the bank. We're gonna be millionaires." <laughs> Which. Webner has said his manager looked across and said, You better turn around. Your guy's getting up, and he looks pissed. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Ali ends up getting up for the next five rounds, just pounds Wetner. <laughs> with 19 seconds to go in the fight, he TKOs him and knocks him out. Aww. So Webner does not go the distance with Ali. But why is it important, obviously? Because there was somebody watching that fight <laughs> yes. that night, which was Mr. Sylvester Stallone, which he goes on to, what you said at the beginning, write this story in three days. Um, Rep- Webner's career, he ended um, in 78. He even fought Andre the Giant. Why is that important? Anybody that's seen Rocky three yep. <laughs> knows the Andre the Giant fight comes with, um, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan, which Thunderlips. Um, well, Webner um, had two films about him. one a documentary called The Real Rocky, uh, which was essentially a 30 for 30. And then also not long ago the Brawler, which was starring Lee Schreiber as Webner and huh. Naomi Watts is in the film. So um, Webner got nothing for this movie. Um, you know, essentially there was a funny story for a while where Webner said, yeah, he signed off his rights, but he just assumed it wouldn't do anything. His wife argued. There's some questions about all of that. Webner would end up going on. And so Stallone for years denied that he got this story. But in around 2000, he admitted that this is where the story came from. Um, and he actually did it on a documentary, um, on one of the. Uh, Rocky DVDs.
0: Well, and also, didn't he like he would say like part of this came like some of the inspiration came from Rocky Marciano because Rocky Marciano yeah. was actually the one who had hit raw meat. Mm-hmm. Yes, in freezers, yes. yeah, so there's
1: yes, um, but because he ends up saying so essentially Webner ends up suing him Oof. for 15 million dollars, they end up settling for 1.5 million dollars. Um, you know, Webner says that Stallone and him are friends, that they just had to handle this in court, but uh, but that is the true story of where we get you know the real Rocky well, from, and A- it's
0: not the only lawsuit associated with this film, unfortunately. unfortunately. You know, so Sylvester Stallone, who you know, created this. the... The character of Rocky Balboa... um you know, it created the screenplay for Rocky. Um, very, very unfortunately, in the bid for getting himself to be in the film and how hot, hard he had to fight for that, um, he did not get to retain the rights to the story of Rocky, um, and still does not have the rights to the story to this day, despite multitude of sequels. Um, or it's actually something that even as late as last summer, uh, he was be- he was very open and public about how he has not made. Much off of Rocky, before being the creator of this series, um because of Irwin Winkler, Um that unfortunately he was like kind of robbed of the opportunity to have rights. Now, like Rocky, or sorry, Sylvester Stallone was paid obviously for his acting role. He was paid the most nominal fee for his writing. Um, You know, it would sound like a lot of money, but compared to what most screenwriters get, especially screenwriters on a Best Picture winner, um, you know, it's a really nominal fee. um, You know, and essentially Erwin Winkler's response is like, well, he was paid to act in the film, so he's made his money off of Rocky, but he has never seen off of the merchandising, off of the distribution rights. He got some money on the back end of the first Rocky But that's it. It's one of those weird things, and he still does not retain the rights to this day. So (laughs) Sylvester Stallone, creator of the story and series... Sees none of the rights for this still star,
1: today. Star, like you said, I mean, yeah, it's a weird rocky. thing. Yeah, it's weird. I know he's talked a lot, especially lately, and and probably you know I, I hate to say him like this, but he's there later in life. Um, you know, he's talked a lot about his legacy and what he wants to leave for his family, and I think that's a lot of what he's been, you know, quote unquote, fighting for too. I know he was pretty angry because. Winkler was teaming up to do a, a Drago film, yes. um, was a film or series. I don't remember um, that Lundgren was even going to be part of, or I don't know if that's still going through, but I know, you know, Stallone was quite hurt by that yeah, and upset course. about that. I believe it's why he also left. There's a lot of rumors of that that's why he left the franchise in the last
0: film. Um, but here's the thing, though, like rights aside, and I'm not saying that the financial windfall of that wouldn't be great for him but he is like so associated with this film there's no denying that the legacy of rocky stands with him even if the if the rights don't and you know and in as we've been kind of talking about throughout this like look he's part of oscars history this is a best picture winner for a first time screenwriter you know directed by john g avildsen who also directed all three parts of karate kid um (laughs) and lean on me yes and Rocky Five. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: You know what? A little justice for Rocky Five. It's no, not, as not as bad as everybody says. It, you stay over there, <laughs> you person who has only seen
0: Rocky in recent years. But, you know, he won Best Director at the Academy Awards that year. Which is yes. incredible. It's
1: really incredible.
0: But they were nominated for quite a few other things, they too. They did also
1: win for Best Film Editing. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's they were tons of nominations all over. Stallone was nominated for The Writing, um, mm-hmm. who lost out to, I believe, Network. Yep. Um, and then Stallone uh, was up for Best Actor. And lost out to Peter Finch for Network. Network. (laughs) Uh, Tali Shire was up for Best Actress. Loses out to Faye Dunaway for Network. Um... Then I I love that both Burgess Meredith and Burt Young were both nominated in this category. Um, Again, Jason Robards ends up getting it for all the president's men. It's a solid year for film all around. I mean, it just speaks to the excellence of this movie on why it was so decorated in nominations and and decorated in wins. And, you know. Probably like we've talked about. Well, some of the best aspects of the Rocky franchise and films are its music, right? So, you know, Gonna Fly Home now. Excuse me. Gonna Fly Now. Was it robbed of its Oscar?
0: Like, totally. Obviously. It's so enduring. I agree with you. (laughs) knows evergreen from a (laughs) star sport that's not true if you really love a star sport you probably know that song too well but
1: yeah i'll take gonna fly now any day of the week
0: you know and you talk about like gonna fly now and it's enduring legacy and how much it means to this series how often repeated it is as a musical cue not just in sports montages but throughout the rocky series and as we've been talking in this episode you have probably noticed we've talked about a lot of the sequels but there are There's a sequel we have left out, Um, and if you've ever spoken to us, you probably know it's maybe arguably our favorite sequel, or maybe one of us would argue the best actually in the Rocky franchise. We've not talked about the movie Creed. Might even argue best
1: sports film of all time. (laughs)
0: And I think that's a conversation we need to have. So we have decided that our next episode, we're talking about Creed. going um, back
1: to Philly, uh, folks.
0: Ryan Coogler and <laughs> Michael B. Jordan. I cannot wait.
1: Tessa Thompson, I'm all there.
0: Yeah. It's gonna be a good episode. So yeah. if you are not currently following us on social media, you can follow us at How Could You Podcast on Instagram, at How Could You Pod on Twitter, on Facebook.com backslash how could you podcast, or you can listen to our episodes on YouTube at youtube.com backslash how could you podcast you can obviously tune into anchor or wherever you are streaming podcasts please stay tuned for exciting updates coming up about nostalgia cinema the amazing things that are going on at the frank banko alehouse cinemas um and all of our teases out for creed
1: and until next time enjoy the odyssey yo lauren we did it <laughs>